Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 7. Hey everyone, this is Ethan Renault. Welcome to another edition of Abscond with me, Ethan Renault. I am your host, slash storyteller, slash interviewer, slash slash maker, slash... I really am running out of things to slash right now. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, guys. Um, The music you're listening to right now is by D-Tales. That's D-3-Tales. You can find his music on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. He's really talented, does a lot of good stuff over there. Um, Today, it's just me, not interviewing anybody. Um, Just me in my home talking to myself. Uh, A.K.A. you guys. So I figured I would just pick up with part two of Ethan's life story. I think last time we left off in 2011, um, where I was a volunteer youth pastor at a small church in Colorado. Not to be confused with me currently being a youth pastor, not a volunteer, because they actually pay me this time. Uh, Okay, 2011, I was... Going to community college, and this was my second community college. I went to my first year of community college in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So the second year, I was here in Colorado, and I got my associates in English, which is why they pay me the gigantic bucks to write uh, the words in English. Um, Just kidding. They don't pay me the gigantic bucks. Um, But I did get my associates in English here, and it was in 2011 that I also went to Brazil for the first time. It was also the only time I went to Brazil, so I'm not sure why I said it was the first time. Um, But that was possibly the greatest trip of my entire life. Out of all the places I've been, Brazil was by far my favorite. And I think part of it is due to the fact that on this trip, my two friends and I, Joel and um, Lucas, I forgot his name for a second, um, we were there for a two-week mission Uh, work that we did with an organization in Brazil, but we decided to stay an extra two weeks and backpack from Sao Paulo to Rio de Janeiro. And if you're not familiar with the geography of Brazil, that is a, oh my gosh, was it three or 500 miles or kilometers? Or maybe it was 500 kilometers, which would be 300 miles, which would make sense. Anyway, it's all along the coastline. It's all along the eastern coast of Brazil, and so we took buses and hitchhiked and took ferries and stayed at strangers' houses all along this coastline of Brazil, and if you've never been to Brazil, it has the greatest people in the world, also the most beautiful people in the world, which is subjective but also true empirically. And it also has the greatest food and some of the the most beautiful landscapes and just beautiful um, agriculture and scenery out of anywhere I've ever been. So the combination of all those things was just phenomenal. And yeah, just spending two weeks backpacking along there. After getting to know the the team I was with for the first two weeks on that missions trip... um, Yes, I did kind of have a thing with a girl there, this beautiful girl named G, 
And uh, I still miss her and think about her a lot. G, if you're listening, stay awesome. <laughs> um, so anyway, Brazil, I really miss that place. We did get to see God do some really cool things there. The craziest thing that happened was when we arrived in Rio de Janeiro, we had been backpacking there for like a week. Um, we'd back, been backpacking to Rio. We finally arrive, and that night, we're hanging out on the beach, and I think it's the northern side of Copacabana, where it's this dark, kind of shady place away from the main touristy areas where kind of secluded away from people. And so it's uh, me, my two friends, a couple girls, and a couple other guys. And we were all hanging out on the beach, and suddenly this guy comes over, and he just starts speaking to my friend Lucas, who's a Brazilian, speaking to him in Portuguese, and I had no idea um, what they were talking about because they were speaking in Portuguese. So Joel and I, neither of us speak Portuguese, we're just sitting there staring out into the ocean, you know, watching the waves roll in against this rock that we're sitting on, and just kind of ignoring this guy because I was like, oh, he's just asking for money, no big deal, nothing to need to worry about here. So we're sitting there, and the guy just won't go away, and five minutes pass, ten minutes pass, and we can only hear the tones of their conversation, and it kind of goes from angry for the first several minutes to kind of sad and mournful in the second half of the conversation and then just kind of this really weird dragging on. So, I mean, we really had no idea what was going on, but after maybe 20 minutes, all the girls were with suddenly start crying. And so Joel and I were just sitting there staring out to the ocean still. We're kind of like, what on earth is going on? And we, we hadn't really turned around to look at this guy very much. We've kind of been ignoring him, assuming he's just asking for money or something like that. And so, eventually, it must have been 30 or 40 minutes later, that this guy finally walks away. And Joel and I turn around and say, Lucas, what on earth was that? And he says, oh, that guy had a gun, and he showed it to us, and he said he had seven bullets, so he could kill seven of us. <laughs> and so, that's why all the girls had started crying, because we had just been mugged at gunpoint, and Joel and I had no idea. We were just staring at the ocean the whole time. And... Lucas then like told us everything that happened and the guy had come up and Lucas started chatting with him and said, oh, it's my birthday today, which was true. We were celebrating Lucas's birthday. And he said that we're also missionaries and we're here from America to uh, share the gospel with people and, and help out, help people out. And um, eventually the guy was like, okay, I can't, I can't take anything from you on your birthday. And then this guy who's trying to rob us starts telling Lucas his entire life story, which is he'd been in and out of prison. He had two sons he's trying to provide for. And that was when he began to get sad and say, like, this is why he has to do this because he doesn't have any other options. And so Lucas kind of told us the entire conversation, and we were just blown away by the fact that this, this guy had you know, been intending to rob us and take everything we had and then ended up walking away because uh, we really think the Lord protected us at that time. And at the end, Lucas had prayed for him, um, prayed for God to provide for him and for his sons and that he would uh, improve his life. Um, but the funny part, I guess it's not really that funny, but 
the guy walked down the beach um, to another couple, maybe 50 yards from us, 100 yards from us, and we saw <laughs> we saw them reach in their pockets and take everything out and give it to this guy. <laughs> so he, he left us and mugged the people, you know, right down the beach from us. Um, but we were totally fine. And um, so I can officially say I've been mugged at gunpoint in Rio de Janeiro, which I've come to find out is kind of more the rule than the exception. You know, it's, you kind of haven't been to Rio unless you got mugged at gunpoint. So we have officially been to Rio. It was also in Rio. It was actually that same day, I'm pretty sure, that I got my lip tattoo, which none of you have probably seen. Um, it's on the inside of my lip, and it says Santo, which is the Portuguese word for holy, where we get the word saint. And uh, I got it in my lip, kind of um, similar to Isaiah chapter 6, when the angel touches the burning coal to Isaiah's lips and says, Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and the angel kind of purifies his lips so that his speech may be holy, so that everything I say, and it's pretty fitting since I'm doing a podcast and you're just listening to me talk, Hopefully, everything I say will be in an effort to build people up and communicate the word of the Lord and be holy as the Lord is holy. So after Brazil, I came back, finished up my associate's degree, and then said, now what? I kind of have a quote-unquote degree, um, found out associate's really does nothing for you, um, or for me anyway, it didn't. So I decided to go back to YWAM and do more work with YWAM. Youth with a Mission, the missions organization I was with. And I had heard that the Boston base had need of construction workers to come help them out and um, kind of renovate their base, which they had just purchased, and they needed help. So I called them and I said, hey, um, I have some free time. I can come, you know, work on your base and do construction for you. Um, you know, you don't need to pay me anything. And then I won't pay anything. I'll just have free room and board and food. And it worked out pretty well in my head. So January 2012, I show up at, in Boston. And the very first day I'm there, they take me around the base, which is this gigantic old funeral home. I think it was four stories tall. It's this beautiful old building, kind of falling apart in places but just a beautiful, huge building. It's like a little kid's dream come true for playing hide-and-seek or something like that, just this gigantic building. Also a little kid's nightmare, though, if it's late at night and you're alone in that gigantic place. But it was awesome. And so I show up, and they say, here's your bunk. You can unpack all your things into this dresser, um, so on, so on. So I unpack all my clothes, move in. I'm, like, getting ready um, to live here for a while. So two hours after I unpack and move in, they call a meeting for the entire base and the base director comes to us and says, all right guys, so, um, the fire marshal was just here. He saw the construction that we're doing on the base while we're living in it and said it's unfit to live in while we're doing the construction. So we're getting kicked out of our base and we don't know what we're going to do. So I think we're just going to be homeless for the next couple months. <laughs> so I literally went back upstairs, repacked all my clothes, put it all back into my suitcases and backpack, and got ready to be homeless because we had to be out of the base in 24 hours. 
Um, literally, that was the day I showed up at this base where I'm planning to live for the longest time. And so we ended up being homeless as a community for the next two or three months where we would, um, the students would have lessons in one church, sleep in a different church basement, and on the weekends we couldn't be in the churches, so we would drive up to New Hampshire and stay in random families' houses. So it ends up being this really, really crazy yet amazing and fun season where we were just constantly on the go, on the move, really restless, had no like consistent place that we were like rooted. And if you know YWAMers at all, you know that this is like their dream come true to constantly be on the go, never know where you're going to sleep tomorrow, never know where you're going to go or how the day is going to unfold. That's like the YWAMers dream come true. So that's how we lived for the next couple months. And sometime during that season, I got a phone call from a friend of mine at the YWAM Denver base. And he says, Ethan, I had this dream and I want to start an organization in Nigeria. And I said, okay, awesome. And he said, I thought of you because you're a solid guy. I want you on my team. Um, I want to know if you want to be involved in whatever it is we're doing in Nigeria. You know, going there, sharing the gospel with people, starting this thing up. So I said, give me a week to think about it, you know, figure out what would be involved, the timeline, all that stuff. And he says, okay, great. So I call him back a week later and I said, Andrew, I'm in. I don't know what you need me to do, but um, I want to help out. And he says, okay, awesome. You're going to be the vice president and we're going to do this thing together, tag team, you and I. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm the vice president of an organization in Nigeria And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm down. And so I ended up flying to Nigeria several times over the course of that year, 2012, just for meetings with pastors and um, for this big event we threw in November that year. But it was just the craziest thing because I remember telling my mom, I called her, I said, hey, mommy, which is what I always call my mom to this day. I said, mommy, I just want you to know that next month I'm going to Nigeria And without missing a beat, her response was, well, hopefully as soon as you don't get there, they pack up and leave as well. And I just laughed because most mothers, when their sons tell them that they're going to one of the most dangerous countries in the world, would freak out. And my mom's response, by this time she'd become so accustomed to me just going to different countries and having crazy things happen to me, she said, okay. And then made a joke about me getting kicked out of the base in Boston. So... Anyway, that summer I decided, uh, my friend from Cape Cod called me and he said, hey, I need someone to teach my paddleboard lessons because he owns a surf shop in Cape Cod. And I said, "Uh, sweet, I'm in. And he said, but where are you going to live? How are you going to get around and all this other stuff? And I said, I don't know. I don't need a place to live. (laughs) I can have a tent. And he said, okay, well, all right. So I ended up moving back to Cape Cod and literally being homeless for an entire summer, living on the beach, teaching paddleboard lessons for eight hours a day. And by far, I think that was the best year of my life because, for one, I was tan, like darker than my hair. And I have dark brown hair. And my skin was like the same color because I was in the sun so much every single day. I made it a point to be in the ocean every single day that year, um, even when I wasn't working. Um, If you've never been to Cape Cod, I may have mentioned this last time, but if you've never been to Cape Cod, it's in the shape of an arm, like flexing, 
And so you're never more than four miles from the ocean. So it's not that hard to be in the ocean every day on Cape Cod, but I still did. And I was homeless and I just would crash at friends' houses or on the beach or in a tent or wherever I could. It was just amazing. And everyone who knew me that summer thought I was this crazy guy because not only was I homeless, I kept flying back and forth to Nigeria for meetings with pastors. And so I really don't know what people thought of me at the time, but it was such a fun summer. It was just unbelievably fun. And at some point during that summer, I had found out that I had been accepted to Moody Bible Institute uh, for the fall. So I said, all right, I'm going to Chicago. And so I think it was August, probably August or September, whenever school starts, that I show up at Moody Bible Institute. I've never been to Chicago before, never been to the campus, don't know a soul at Moody Bible Institute. But I walk on campus with my super, super short cutoff jean shorts, my cutoff tank top, and a couple bags, and I'm tan like Matthew McConaughey. And I just walk on campus at this ultra-conservative Christian college where everyone else is wearing, like, ties or collared shirts and, you know, just like, um, I stood out like a sore thumb just walking on campus. And it ended up being a really tough transition into Moody at that time just because going from this lifestyle of constantly moving, bouncing around one place to the next, never sitting still, never not having a next place I'm going, and then suddenly having to be in the same place for years to get a degree, um, to be around the same people, and to really invest in community, and to have a goal, and to do homework, and to write papers. and so It was just a huge transition for me from the previous couple of years that I had been living. And it ended up being super, super good for me. I remember one time specifically, I had a friend named Ian, and he sat me down, this was probably a month or two after I had arrived at Moody in 2012. He was a guy on my floor that I had kind of become close with. He sits me down and he says, Ethan, I just have to be honest with you, man. You're always talking about traveling and leaving and bouncing around and all the cool stuff you've done. And to be honest with you, it kind of prevents me from being able to get close to you because I'm just thinking, oh, this guy doesn't want to stick around. He just wants to leave, go on to the next place, find new people, have another adventure, and he won't be here for very long. He won't be in my life for very long. And so, Ethan, it's just really hard for me to kind of get to know you, and I just want to be straight with you and tell you that. And that really kind of took took a blow to me because it made me realize that I have all these cool stories, and cool stories of traveling and adventure can impress people, but they don't do anything as far as connecting you with someone in a deep and intimate, rooted way. So my friend admitted to me straight up that he couldn't, get close to me because of my heart for traveling and my restlessness and all this stuff. And it really took me, took me back and made me realize that uh, this was the reason that I didn't have many friends um, when I got to Moody because everybody kind of felt that I was just going to bounce around or, um, you know, move on to the next place. And I always talked about leaving and I had such a hard time sitting still and not only, not only committing to a place, but committing to people as well. And so I think that was kind of the beginning of me 
coming to terms with, okay, I don't have to be this cool world traveler, mysterious guy, because when someone's mysterious, there's no way for you to know them at an intimate, meaningful way, um, or even just be friends with them. Mysterious people don't have friends. They may have people who are intrigued by them and curious about them, but they don't have friends. So over my three years at Moody, it really was a roller coaster. There were some really, really good times, phenomenal people that I met there, phenomenal professors. I have so many stories from Moody. I guess I'll just tell one or two real quick. I started this tradition pretty soon after I got there where I decided that every single month I was at the Moody Bible Institute, I would go and jump in Lake Michigan because it was a quarter or a half mile from the campus. So we would um, bundle up in the winter, run down to the lake, jump in and jump out and run back to Moody and then shower for like an hour. And um, I'm pretty sure there are people that still do it. Maybe not every month, but I can honestly say that every month I was at Moody Bible Institute, I jumped in Lake Michigan. Uh, for three years, I was at Moody, jumping in the lake. And one year, Jimmy Fallon did this huge thing where he made a big deal about coming to Lake Michigan in the winter and jumping in. And I was like, trying to tweet at him. I was like, Jimmy, I do this every month. Jimmy, whatever. And um, so he didn't seem to care that I did it every month. And he did it once in his lifetime. Basically, all my other stories from Moody involve my friends and I breaking into abandoned places, wandering around them, taking cool pictures in them, and then eventually the cops show up and kick us out. And not once did we ever actually get in trouble with the police, mainly because we had Moody Bible Institute student IDs, so we could just show them those, and they'd say every single time, oh, you go to Moody? Oh, okay. Well, just don't do it again, okay? Because everyone knows Moody is this really, really great, well-respected institute and has a lot of respect for it. And uh, so they they just knew that we were good people. We weren't there vandalizing or or doing drugs or anything crazy. Um, we were just wandering around and taking pictures. So they let us go. And uh, yeah, Moody was really great. I also have a lot of respect for the things I learned there especially for the people who had a lot of patience with me when I was just a fresh, freshly from YWAM, um, which is very much the opposite end of the spectrum theologically. When I showed up, I was just praying for everyone and trying to do worship with everyone and not necessarily in a good way, more just like in an annoying kind of holier than thou kind of way. So I feel like that was another thing that I had to be humbled of when I went to Moody and realizing... Um, or the way I always describe it to people is in John 4, Jesus says that worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And I always tell people I got the spirit from YWAM because they're very charismatic and passionate. And I got the truth from Moody because they're very devoted to the scriptures and to knowledge and learning and knowing God um, in an intellectual way. And both of those extremes can be dangerous and that's why it's necessary to have the balance. So I'm really grateful for both of those things, kind of balancing me out there. So I think I'll wrap it up there and maybe just make this a three-part dealio so that I don't have to rush through the rest of it and bore you guys just by droning on about my own life. I kind of like recounting it in this way because I can really go in detail, have you guys get to know me a little bit. 
And at the same time, like I always say, I really hope to get to know you guys more as well by writing in. You can go to my website, etherreno.com, and just click the contact button, and that sends an email directly to me. You can also um, contact me through Facebook, Ethan Renault. I think my page's name is facebook.com slash Ethan Renault official. That's like the public page where you can follow without being a friend. And then Twitter and Instagram are just Ethan Renault at Ethan Renault. So check those out. Um, but honestly, email is the best way uh, because there's a lot of times I get off social media for periods of time. But Email me if you want to get in contact. I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear thoughts for things you'd like to hear me or my guests talk about. Um, we always need new topic ideas. I'd love to hear from you. So hit me up through any of those avenues. I'd love to hear from you. Um, again, this has been Abscond with me, Ethan Renault. Ethan's Life Story, Part 2 of 3. And next time, I'll bring you from Moody Bible Institute to the present day involving the uh, legendary shirtless runner in Chicago viral video nonsense and all that and everything that happened after that. So come back for that one. Stay tuned for more great guests that I'm going to have on here. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I love you all.